R.C. Sproul said, Confession should be a daily activity for the Christian, whose entire pilgrimage is characterized by the spirit of repentance. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hey. And if you're new here, uh, you know, don't let the religionless uh, Christianity name fool you. Very much religious. But the world that we find ourselves in is not. Um, very religionless and very secular. And that's where the name comes from. Um, and we do our best here to help Christians walk a life that's pleasing to God, uh, making sense of the insanity that's around us. That's, uh, that's our hope mm. here. So today, you know, I'm back. If you're not new here, I was in LA last week. So I'm back now. Uh, my beautiful wife is again by my side, which is a good thing. And um, we're ready to get back to business. That's the important thing. So this week, we're going to be finishing our look at the road to salvation. We're on point number five. You can find the previous four um, episodes that we've discussed. They're on the channel. I encourage you to go give those a look. Um, listen to what, you know, the, the rest of sort of Romans Road and the points and the discussion on that I think was good. And um, that'll be in our Bible topic at the end of the show. So before that, you know, we're going to do what we normally do and look at some of the news that we thought was worth addressing, stuff that we considered important as good Christian folk. And um, yeah, some of it won't be necessarily just from this week. Some of it will be from last week as well, because I was gone. And um, before we get to all of that, though, is there anything you would like to say? Just pray for Spencer. Sermon he's preaching this Sunday at church. So that'll be exciting. <laughs> yeah, please pray for me. This will be... My first ever sermon preached, a first real sermon. So I've told everyone it's either going to be the first of many or it'll be the first and last. So either way, <laughs> it's historic. Um, so my pastor is going to be gone. And he was kind enough to ask if I cared to give the message. And I'm excited about it. A little bit nervous. Um, I think you should always, hopefully I will never lose the nerve that comes along with preaching God's word. I think, I think nerves are good. You know, you don't want to be anxious or scared, but I think nerves sort of keep you focused in a sense. And that's something I hope that I always keep. Um, so we will be preaching this Sunday. I will try to have um, the link you know, maybe next week, or I may put it up on social media. We live stream at the church. Um, so, in fact, I'll just have the link to our live stream down in the show notes. If you want to go check that out Sunday morning, um, leave a comment, jump on the social media, let me know how, how you thought it went. And uh, if you got any constructive criticism, happy to uh, accept that from you. So, Anything else? Mm, can't think of anything right now. All right. <laughs> you guys know what time it is. Time to gird your loins and steal up your soul as we 
wade into the slaw of despond, proceeding on to the valley of the shadow of death as we take a look at the news of the week. Oh, you know what? I didn't even get our plugs out of the way. All the cool news talk. I thought that's coming up really quick. <laughs> My mistake. See, we've been gone for one week and I told Nikki, I was like, boy, it feels like we've been gone for a long time. And it wasn't even gone. I still did a podcast episode last week. It was just, I didn't do any plugs because I was just in a hotel room or an Airbnb by myself. So anywho, let's get our plugs out of the way. You guys know, big fans of Cardinal Contingency Solutions. Um, we highly, highly, highly encourage you to give them a call as we um, continue to see more and more stories of diversity, inclusion, and equity grabbing local churches as we see, um, you know, Christian nationalism being, you know, made up and, you know, a talking point. I think it's important to, you know, have your ducks in a row before you need to have them in a row, you know, before somebody comes knocking on your church door, your ministry door. Um, and this goes, this is just the messaging part. I mean, this isn't even to say if you have a missionary organization or if you're a business, government, whatever it happens to be, um, you know, they can get you right in a myriad of ways, whether that be messaging, exploitation, or whether that be training, you know, for how does your missionary team deal with conflicts on the ground? Um, you know, we read a story, I think, a year and a half ago or so now, but 17 missionaries in Haiti that got rolled up and kidnapped. What do you do <laughs> in that situation, right? Um, how do you avoid that situation entirely? What happens if you're um, being rolled up on and you have that split second decision to make the right decision or the wrong decision? What do you do? Um, Cardinal... They're the best in the world at it. This is what they train the U.S. military in every single day. So um, reach out to them. I'm sure you will be pleased. And also, we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. And uh, I pulled this one up here because I listened to this episode recently, debunking the Big Bang Theory and then genders. Um, this is on the Apologetics Live show. It's just one of... 60 some Christian podcast. And it was a really good show. It's done by Andrew Rappaport. He had a astrophysicist on talking about some of the latest findings from the James Webb, James Webb telescope and how that sort of debunks the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, she should so, have been on that other guy's show that had you on. Yeah. Who's well, asking you all those kind of questions? Yeah, I'm like, I don't, dude, I don't know about. Well, you Red could maybe link this so, to the comments to that guy. But he was a smart fella. It was a good talk. Um, so encourage you to go check out Christian Podcast Community. The great thing about them, you know, 60 Christian podcasters, us included, all in one feed. So you just got one subscription, you get all of us. And uh, I think you'll find some stuff on there that you like. All right. We already did the scary music, so we'll just roll <laughs> limp into the news now. Um, in this first story, I just think it's worth noting. Uh, I'm not going to make too big of a deal of it because we've already made a big deal of it. And also just going to say, if you're watching on YouTube, probably the next few minutes of this talk is all going to be cut out. Uh, I meant to make a video about this earlier, but going forward, we've already gotten two strikes from, co or from uh, YouTube talking about medical misinformation. 
you know, the spirit of the ages favorite social media platform does not appreciate you talking about things it deems inappropriate. So um, if you want to get the full uncensored, you know, podcast here in video form, you're going to have to probably go to our social media on Facebook or come over to Rumble. We encourage you to come to Rumble. We're up there. You can watch it uncensored there. Uh, we encourage you to leave the Spirit of the Ages favorite social media platform, so mm -hmm. uh, YouTube, um, and come watch us over there. Otherwise, enjoy wherever we pick up next. <laughs> All right. So this first story here, honey, if you want to read the headline. Pfizer exec concedes COVID-19 vaccine was not tested on preventing transmission before release. Oh, yep. So do you want to just read um, the first two paragraphs here? A Pfizer executive... Or three, I'm sorry. Okay. A Pfizer executive said uh, Monday that neither she nor other Pfizer officials knew whether its COVID-19 vaccine would stop transmission before entering the market last year. Member of the European Parliament, Rob Roos, asked during a session... Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? Pfizer's Janine Small, president of the International Developed Markets, said in a response, Did we know about stopping immunization before it entered the market? No. We had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. Yeah. Yikes. I thought, well, when they say... Something like that, it's just moving at the speed of science just means everyone's a test subject. You're learning as you put it out. Like, that's yeah. all it means. That mean yes, certainly, in one sense, if you talk about medical science. But I would say they're also moving at the speed of political science uh, and economic science. Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, there was no time to wait for all the actual details to come out that... This shot doesn't work. It doesn't stop transmission. It doesn't. There was no time for testing with that political no. agenda. That's right. You know, the, uh, who was it? Saul Alinsky, right? Was it Saul Alinsky? Never let a crisis go to waste. Mm. Uh, boy, there was yeah. billions to be made here. Couldn't let that go to waste with all this science and testing nonsense. But <laughs> why this story stuck out to me, obviously anyone that was following this knew they were lying right the entire time you can't make a vaccine in 6 months and tell us that there was rigorous testing done you know all that stuff was a lie right we all knew it going cuz we're ahead. seeing the effects of the long term people even right. a year or two later really big issues coming up right which and is why youtube bans you when you talk about this stuff because you know they got to do damage control as best they can for the spirit of the age and they don't want people actually talking about the fact that you know, they injected people with whatever you want to call the COVID-19 vaccine, really. And they had no idea what the actual ramifications of that would be. Um, we've talked about some of those ramifications before that it, you know, seems to sort of lodge itself in the ovaries. It lodges itself in the testes. They're finding mRNA in breast milk. Um, I read a study or an article a week or two ago where they did an autopsy on a dead person and I obviously had a dead person, but <laughs> they found MRNA traces in his brain. Hmm. Um, so the whole lie about it stays in your arm, complete nonsense. And now here we see another lie 
well, it's going to stop transmission. And I thought, how many times in the last two and a half years, but especially in that first, you know, year and a half to two years or year to two years, right? Early stages. Did we hear the whole, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, right? That was thrown around all the time in the early days. And then when the vaccine came out, it was the same drumbeat. Love your neighbors as yourselves. And we even did an episode on that. If you remember the episode on, you know, Big Eva or like (laughs) the Big Evangelical, you know, those episodes with the Tim Kellers of the world, the Russell Moores of the world that were pushing the government, you know, approved propaganda on all of us, how a loving Christian thing to do is to, you know, go get your vaccine and stay in your house and mask up and close your church because love your neighbor as yourself. And it was all a lie (laughs) from the very start. All of it Mm -hmm. a lie. Most of it they probably knew, because keep in mind, the information that's getting out now is government-approved information. They're not just releasing the floodgates. So typically when you hear stuff like this, you have to go, oh, that's what they're telling us, which means it's probably way worse. Um, That's true. And again, I'm certain they knew this the whole time as they're testing it and looking at it and going, it doesn't stop anything. <laughs> it doesn't limit anything. Oh, it well, do anything. just tell them, right? And that was the big problem here. We got Christian leaders telling us, politicians, actors, everybody telling us, you know, even these companies. And all of it was untrue. They knew it was untrue, but they pushed the lie anyways. Mm -hmm. And the reason they pushed the lie and continue to do it is because there's no repercussion for it. None. People are getting sick and dying. Lies are being exposed. Misinformation. You know, know, people are still going to go and get whatever third fourth fifth shots i don't know how many is out now yeah but like how are people still getting these why would they choose to why would em- because employers be forcing it compliance is the highest virtue now when you're in a quasi socialist communist country compliance is the highest virtue even I though there's what no they told proof. me to do But that's the problem, right? There's no repercussion for these people. And until there is repercussion, they have no reason to ever come clean on it. And um, again, all the damage, right? All the lies from both the vaccine and all the stuff, the damage that was caused, not just medically, but consider emotionally, spiritually, Mm -hmm. financially, lives ruined, Mm -hmm. relationships ruined. Doesn't matter, right? Who cares? They can just, you know, Albert Brula, the CEO of Pfizer, still cashing them checks. Politicians are still, you know, lecturing us left and right on our responsibilities as citizens. Christians are still, you know, claiming to be religious leaders of our day. None of it matters because no one's held accountable. And in my opinion, I believe that they should be tried. Yeah. They should be tried fairly and openly in court so we can all see. And if found guilty, I think they should pay an immense penalty for the hell that they unleashed on the population. Well, did they do all this knowing no one was going to do anything about it? Like, Yes, I have no doubt. I mean, again, you start talking about this stuff, YouTube bans you, um, you're a conspiracy theorist, but all the talks were out there. They have the Dr. Fauci's of the world saying, we really need, you know, a flu-like, you know, epidemic 
in order to advance this science. We need stuff like this to happen. And then he's working in labs in China, right? Like, but again, you're a kook when you talk about it, but it's hard not to see the connection. So we just wanted to highlight that as a reminder, they were liars from the start. They're continuing to lie. Mm -hmm. So you can trust that they will be liars going forward. Mm -hmm. um, so the next time that they give you, and this is the problem, right? It's the boy who cried wolf. Because maybe eventually they're going to tell us something that is serious and yeah. they're going to mean it and you're not going to believe them and you have every right to not believe them. And now you're going to be the one, again, paying the penalty for their sins, right? Mm. And it's such a shame. And the medical community, I mean, it's got two black eyes as far as my you know, concern. It's hard to trust them when they say anything. Um, and it's all because this, they bought the lie they made us try to swallow the lie. Um, and they even still try. I mean, you guys know I'm in the Air Force. They're still trying to make us swallow this lie. <laughs> I mean, I heard just this week, I encourage you to go get the vaccine. I'm like, are you insane? I've still like, been told by what could that be doctor when I went a couple months ago. Yeah. Like, Madness. So yeah. that's all. We just wanted to highlight that again for your guys' essay. All right. Well, if you're still joining us on uh, YouTube, this was a blink of an eye and you missed a great discussion. So go watch us on Rumble. Listen to the podcast. Uh, I'll put the links again up here. You'll see them. Um, we're on any kind of platform that you listen to podcasts on. And we would love it if you leave us a nice glowing review. Five star. Follow us. Subscribe. Maybe share it with a friend. Who knows? Um, all right here. Next story that we got. So um, Christian nationalism was kind of in the news. I saw a couple different stories kind of, you know, we've talked about Christian nationalism on here before. And, you know, I don't think it's a topic that's going away. So I grabbed two that um, were in the vein of Christian nationalism. So do you want to read this headline, honey? Christian nationalism will lead to Christian persecution, SBC President Bart Barber warns. Yep. You want to just read those first two paragraphs? Southern Baptist Convention President Bart Barber has condemned the idea that the church should be running uh, government and warned advocates of Christian nationalism that pursuing such an agenda will result in the persecution of Christians. It stands contrary to 400 years of Baptist history and everything I believe about religious liberty. I'm opposed to the idea of Christian dominion, churchly dominion over the operations of government. Barber insisted in a wide-ranging interview with Anderson Cooper on CBS 60 Minutes on Sunday. Yep, Bart Barber, the newly appointed president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I can't, I mean, I didn't watch the interview, truthfully, so I'm just reading it. Um, maybe he was as bold as a lion on the actual interview but when i read this it just sounds and looks like weakness to me because my first thought was why would you go on anderson cooper you know why go on 60 minutes because they most certainly aren't bringing bart barber on to let him boldly proclaim christ you know and him crucified right they bring you on for one reason right to make a statement um about the SBC and ultimately Jesus. And it's a bad statement, right? Uh, because we know what the SBC has been in the news for, 
right? Sexual assault and the mishandling of all of that for years. That's why they bring you on. They're not bringing you on so that you can make a stand and proclaim Christ in a wicked world. So mm-hmm. unless you're going to just go, I don't care why they brought me on. I'm mm-hmm. about to just make this all about the gospel. Why are you going? What are you doing? Yeah. You're not going to win Anderson Cooper to your side. He's not on your side. Um, you know, these mainstream media outlets, they're sharks. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was all that really stuck out to me when I kind of read through this initially was like, what are you doing? Why would you even go on there? Um, you do yourself a much greater service, I think, by just Zoom. Because the people that are watching 60 Minutes, by and large, you know, watching Anderson Cooper, you know, they're not, I don't know. I'm not assuming that they're the most godly, open-minded Christians that just want to see a healed SBC. They want to watch mm-hmm. you flail about and be, you know, dragged over the coals by how you, you know, mishandled all these abuses so they can feel good about, see, those Christians, right? We knew it all along. But um, do you want to read these next? Let me find them here. Um, Yeah, right here. These next two paragraphs. Barber's comments come in the wake of statements from high-profile Christians, such as born-again Christian uh, Representative Lauren Boebert, um, who insisted this summer that the church should be running the government. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. That is not how our uh, founding fathers intended it. The born-again first-term congresswoman said during a speech at Cornerstone Christian Center in Basalt in her home state in June. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I thought you said bath salts. Is that how? Basalt? Did I say that right? Maybe. Basalt? Maybe I just enunciated it wrong. Bath salts. Anyways. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, you know, earlier in this article... Bart Barber says, you know, it's not the church's job to be running the government. And here's Lauren Boebert, who's basically like, yeah, the church should be directing the government. And in my opinion, again, we've Mm -hmm. talked about this many times before. Bart Barber, I think, is wrong here. I think Representative Boebert is right. The church is supposed to be the moral compass Mm -hmm. of the nation. And our government, you know, at least... Uh, well, the church should be the moral compass, not just of the nation, but of the government also. And that was our founder's intention when they started the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked right. about that. We've read about it. We've read the founder's own words. Um, it was their intention that, yes, the church did not personally run the country, but they were the moral compass guiding yeah. the leaders into a righteous place. Right, just to influence yeah, they were supposed to be influential in the government. Um, and, you know, I fear for the SBC. We've talked about this before. Yeah, so fear for them. And I don't know if these comments alleviate any of those fears uh, from this new president. Because, again, what this speaks of is what we see so often, right? Um, or at least in recent times, the SBC got caught in a scandal, right? A 20-year scandal, pretty big scandal. Um, and now rather than sort of saying, 
we're fixing those. Let's go, you know, contend boldly for the faith. Instead, they're going to go and splay themselves in front of the God-hating liberal media, which is, it seems like what they're doing here. Again, maybe if you watched it, it looked entirely different. Um, but again, Anderson Cooper is no friend of Christianity. Um, and I think Barber would have served himself well to have more of the courage of Representative Boebert um, to not just go out there and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, a thousand times. Just say, yeah, we made a mistake and we're moving past it. We're fixing those, but we've got a mission to do, and that's to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, do you want right. to read this last paragraph? Barber, who was elected to the helm of America's largest Protestant denomination in June, also addressed other controversial issues such as abortion, same-sex marriage, and politics, but the interview mostly focused on an internal investigation into instances of sexual abuse in Southern Baptist churches, which is believed to be the impetus for the Department of Justice launching an investigation into SBC entities. And that's the problem, right? Yeah, you bring them on 60 minutes, you're like, yeah, okay, abortion, sure, same-sex marriage, right? Let's talk about the abused women for the next 45 minutes, right? Because that's their intention the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it seems like he went right along with it. Um, it says here in the article, it says, the SBC's newly elected president revealed leaders didn't just ignore victims, but also attack them. Sometimes we impugn their motives. Sometimes we attack them. The reason why I'm president of the Southern Baptist Convention is because our churches do not agree with that. And we've taken action to correct those things. So, again, Barber, in my opinion, went right along with the liberal media okey-doke, right? We're going to bring you on. Hey, what do you think about abortion, same-sex marriage? Anywho, right? Let's talk about these abused women. Um, and. Mm. I just don't know when we as believers are going to get smart to this um, or get at least smarter on this, right? Going on there, have a plan, right? And make a determination early that I'm not getting drugged down in this. We're not going to trash the entire Southern Baptist Convention, the decades and decades of good work we've done around the globe. We're not doing that. You know, instead of going on there and saying, hey, we made a mistake, we're working hard to fix it. But let me tell you what we're doing. Let me tell you what we've done. And that's that. Then every time the question comes up, go, we've answered that. Let's talk about this. Let's like, you got to go on there and be on the offensive. I mean, one time, like homosexuality was brought up. It was with Lauren Daigle on like Ellen's show. And yeah. she didn't even know how to answer. Like and sometimes credit, important things are brought up, but. Right. And they the do say person. on here that Bart Barber was asked about homosexuality and Anderson Cooper's gay. So they're like, he did say it was a sin. So kudos on that. Um, but man, like, we've got to have a plan. Like, this is where, and everyone hates a politician, but you got to be a politician, right? These are my answers. These are my talking points. I'm not leaving these talking mm -hmm. points. I'm not going to get in here and just start trashing the Southern Baptist Convention and trashing all these. I'm not doing it, right? The world's already trashing them. And it doesn't matter what you say. So Do you think they have to like sign something to say we're going to stay on topic to what 
they're asking. No, you don't got to do anything. I don't anything. know how it goes. I just they wonder may have if you they sign have whatever to... they want. But you've seen plenty of interviews in the past where people don't go where they want and they just end the interview. That would have been my goal. I'm going to go on here and I'm going to stay so strong to the gospel that they're just going to end the interview and kick me off. Um, <laughs> you know, that should have been the goal. And because um, again, it's one thing if you're going on to discuss something with some, but like, this is a national broadcast. Mm-hmm. This is going out possibly to the world, right? Mm-hmm. To see 60 minutes. And the thing is like, we have nothing to explain to these people. Um, like we don't need to explain ourselves to the Anderson Cooper CBS news of the world. I mean, they can't even tell what a woman is, right? They want to convince you to let your kid get their genitals mutilated. And yet somehow we have to go and castrate ourselves in front of them over our missteps and our failings in the past, like not having it. Um, And the SPC has already owned up to this, right? And I just think we've got to have a better plan. And, you know, we've talked about John MacArthur in the past on here and how he came under hot water, kind of talking about this and just in, you know, the way he kind of, I think they were talking to him about, well, what do you think about religious freedom? And he was like, I don't believe in it. (laughs) It sends people to hell. And they're like, how dare you say, nope, I got a plan. I'm sticking to it. Right. And he came under fire and he didn't change his tone. Just, Hmm. nope, that's what I believe. (laughs) Deal with it. Right. And I just think that's the message I would like to hear, you know, because he kind of goes gets drug into the Christian nationalism, which is just a red herring. It's not even a real thing. It's just trying to uh, inject racism into the Christian religion Mm -hmm. and trying to make it a white person. Well, now if you believe traditional Christianity, you're a racist. And instead of Bart Barber coming on there and being like, nope, nope, they're, you know, Galatians 3.28, we're all one in Christ Jesus, don't want to hear it. You know, making a bold stand is like, you just go on there and just give them what they want, right? Yeah, even the president of the SPC says these guys were abusive towards women. Great. So I just, I wish we'd have a better, more um, bold stand and stuff like this. We got to stop. We're never going to appease them, right? You're not going to win Satan's children over to your side by, you know, agreeing that you are the monster they think you are. Um, right. So just do you have any last thoughts on that story before we dive into the next one? Let's get to the next one. All right. So more Christian nationalism <laughs> on the horizon. Man. Um, do you want to read this headline? <laughs> the left isn't afraid of Christian nationalism. Here's what they fear. Yep. So <clears throat> the very thing Bart Barber is going on CBS you know, emphatically proclaiming against, um, they're on this article going, you know, that whole national thing, it's kind of a ruse. They don't even really care about it. Right. Um, and we've known that, right. That's why we talked about it. The left doesn't really care about Christian nationalism. It's a ruse. It's, Mm -hmm. it's just used to advance their political power. It's a political Mm -hmm. power play. Racism seems to have taken hold um, diversity, inclusion, and equity has taken hold. So they're just injecting that into everything. We just have to have that perspective with anything we're told, that it's all political power. 
I don't we know why anybody ever just thinks any of this stuff is on the straightened level, right? They don't care about informing us of any news. Like, it's not what the news is anymore. No, it's not at all. But I don't know when it um, was really, but. Yeah, maybe just, maybe it never was. But back when there was only one news network, all you knew was what, you know, uh, what's that guy's yeah. name? Ted Koppel, not Ted Koppel. Um I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Whatever he told you, you're like, that's the news, right? <laughs> um, do you want to read this paragraph right here? Perhaps the most glaring example is California Governor Gavin Newsom's decision to quote Jesus in a series of billboards he placed in seven states to advertise the state's new abortion tourism laws. The billboard quotes Jesus's words from the Gospel of Mark. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Apparently, Gavin Newsom believes that if you love people, you will help them get abortions. Yeah, where's the whole separation of church and state? How dare you? He's using the same quote as... That's state money being spent <laughs> on Bible verses. Man, I bet you those atheist groups are just beat. They're not, they don't care, right? That's the ruse. They don't care. Um, because when Gavin Newsom, who is Satan's child, uses the Bible verses to encourage tourism and sell the state, cool, right? But when, you know, Representative Boebert does it, oh, separation of church and state, what is going on? I mean, on? Satan quoted scripture to, for the wrong thing. Yeah. I mean, it's still being done today. But think how evil this is. <laughs> like, even aside from the Christian nationalism, like, this is Moloch tourism, right? It's <laughs> satanic tourism. Um, he's wow. trying to establish California as a mecca of child sacrifice. Wow. And then to use God's word to promote it is Gosh. maybe the height of evil. I don't know how anyone's going to, like, see that and be like, yeah, that is loving my neighbor. Like who sees that and is convinced? Maybe Tim Keller and Russell Moore. I don't know. The same, get the vaccine to love your neighbor. Um, crowd says, let women get an abortion because you love your neighbor. Not the neighbor in the womb though. You can hate him. Yeah. When I, the other that's one. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Who's my neighbor? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, if, if you're aware recently, John MacArthur, uh, he wrote an open letter to Gavin Newsom, the governor out there in California. And this was the reason he wrote it. You know, he saw the billboard and basically Gavin Newsom taking the Lord's name in vain and um, perverting scripture in such a heinous way. And um, he even talked about it at the conference I was at. He was like, I just, I couldn't let that slide anymore. And one thing I love about Pastor MacArthur um, he has said this multiple times, but they've asked him like over the decades, you know, how, what makes you decide to fight a battle or not or whatever? How do you decide which battles to fight and which ones not to? And every time I've heard him, he's always said, we fight every battle. Mm -hmm. Anytime the Lord's name is on the line, we fight that battle. And I thought, man, if more pastors around the country would have that fire, um, you know, we contend earnestly for the faith and anywhere somebody is misrepresenting or defaming the name of God, we fight it. Yeah. And what would be the reason not to? And I've even heard that same 
that same quote pretty much pertaining to children where they say you got to pick and choose your battles with your kids and nope. someone i don't remember who said it was like nope you battle every single one with your kids you don't let I any pick slide every battle yeah <laughs> <laughs> no and i mean especially when it gets to this level right i mean you're what's more heinous and what's more evil than saying you know mm-hmm. using mark chapter seven to try to convince people to come out and murder their children. I mean, that's insane. I mean, like you've run out of worldly excuses that you have to twist scripture. Like that's a last resort, it seems, doesn't it? Like a desperate attempt to convince people. I mean, it might be, you know, that remnant of, I mean, well, there's plenty of progressive liberal Christians out there, you know, that vote for the Joe Bidens of the world, right? They claim some sort of Catholic or Christian faith, um, but really they're Democrats first. So maybe this is just the push that they need. You know, they just need to hear one of their progressive heroes tell them that Jesus is okay with it. And then they're like, it's all I need. Sure, I never opened my Bible up to see what it says, but Gavin Newsom told me that that's well, what Mark 7 means. Hopefully they actually open their Bible to that scripture because they want to be like, is that really what that means? And maybe they'll read it. They'll read more and maybe they'll get saved in spite of this. Well, and that's the hope, right? And we hope that Gavin Newsom reads the letter from Pastor MacArthur and his spirit is stirred to repentance and he cries out to God to save his soul. That's what we hope. And that's what we pray mm-hmm. that that would happen. Um but what's crazy is it doesn't seem to be that we've seen any sort of great uproar amongst Californians over this. Mm-hmm. Um, like maybe just the majority of the citizens in that country are so depraved and so spiritually bankrupt that they just don't even see an issue with maybe this. Maybe he knew like nobody would do anything about it. That's a pretty bold move, you know? Right, well, and I mean, you probably only get away with that in California, right? Well, New maybe York, New York, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> New York was probably like if that upset was done that they didn't get to or... it first. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me see. There was one more paragraph that I wanted to read here. Uh, yeah. Do you want to read this paragraph? Uh, recently, California decided they will not only pay for the abortions of people who live in other states, They'll cover travel expenses as well. They won't pay for cancer treatments, chiropractor appointments, chronic dental problems, mammograms, adoption expenses, or the expenses associated with raising a child. Just your abortions. Because that's more loving. That's the most loving thing. Right. And (laughs) I think we've talked about this before, but in this is maybe it even makes it more heinous if it can be worse than that, you know, taking the Lord's name in vain to promote abortion. But again, look at the reason what he says here, right? They're not going to pay for cancer treatments, chiropractic appointments, dental mammograms, all these sorts of things, because those, pro- uh, those promote life, those pro- promote life, provide mm-hmm. life extending life saving care. What does abortion do? It keeps children off the state payroll. 
It's the same reason, right, why Amazon would pay $4,000 to let you go out of state to get an abortion. It's way cheaper for them to pay $4,000 to have a woman ruin her life and family than it costs for them to put another child on the medical insurance and pay for whatever it is, 16 weeks or whatever maternity leave is and all like it's way cheaper. Well, they know the effects it's going to have on women. How many women go through the mental and spiritual anguish, regret, and then they have to get on, you know, medication so they don't go crazy realizing what they've done, like the depression meds and whatnot. Like how much, I don't know how much those are, but they know they're going to reap more profit from the damage they've done to the mother as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. But this is your tax dollars at work, right? This is what you're paying for. Because uh, every vote for Gavin Newsom, I mean, really every vote for the satanic Democrat Party is an approval of spending your money to slaughter children. That's what they want to do with it. And, you know, you might convince yourself, right? You know, like, ah, I'm voting for Gavin Newsom for green energy, you know, climate change is a real danger. Sure, right? Maybe that's why you think you vote, but you don't get one without the other, right? You don't get the Gavin Newsom fighting your climate change without the Gavin Newsom that's paying your tax dollars to fly people from all over the country to murder their babies on your state grounds. Yeah, they got to make up issues for people to vote, things that aren't even real. Yeah, like, so this is the package deal you get, right? Um, and this is again, where you have to sort of choose what's important to you and really what lines up with your values. Right. And I hope that your Christian values would rise to the surface and sort of take a priority for you. Um, you know, that like the importance of life would override taxing the rich to a higher level. Um, even if that's something you want, great. But if you're attaching it to murdering innocent children with your tax dollars, I mean, is taxing the rich really that important? You know, I don't know. It's hard for me to understand that. But there was another part to this story besides Gavin Newsom's, you know, sane level of wickedness. Um, Do you want to read these next two paragraphs? Let me see. Yeah these next couple paragraphs here. Mm -hmm. Democrat Raphael Warnock, a United States Senator from Georgia, who is a self-described pro-choice pastor, is in a close re-election campaign with former football player Herschel Walker. Like Governor Newsom, he recently invoked God in his support for abortion. I trust women and their wisdom and their ability to sit with their own God. And if they choose, choose to sit with their pastor to pray about that and let their own conscience guide them, Warnock said. Even God gave us a choice. In addition, despite the overtly biblical language, no one has expressed concern about the threat to democracy represented by Warnock and Newsom's mixing of religion and politics. Neither the ACLU nor the Freedom from Religion Foundation are highlighting the risk from Newsom's decisions to use campaign funds to put Bible verses on billboards. Of course, we understand why. They know Warnock and Newsom don't really care what the Bible says. Yep, and we know that as well. But first point to make here, 
We've talked about Ralph Warnock before. He's a false teacher. That's obvious. <laughs> um, anyone who would make the claim yeah. of their own God is not a man fit for the Christian pastorate. Um, he's a yeah. false teacher. He's a liberal politician, first and last. Uh, mm -hmm. But this is a point that Christians, I'm afraid, fail to grasp at a broad level. Um, because Herschel Walker, like they mentioned, is running against Ralph Warnock, and he's a bad candidate, right? Um, Ralph Warnock is a bad candidate. So what do we do, right? We have two bad candidates, one Republican, one a Democrat. And right now, the liberal media is doing everything they can to paint Herschel Walker, you know, as this bad guy who paid for abortions, he's had children out of wedlock, all of which may be true. I don't know. I don't care all that much. He sounds like a bad guy. Doesn't sound like the most intelligent dude on the planet. Well, what if those children were just aborted and not born out of wedlock? Well, and it does Would sound he like he... Would still be a bad guy? <laughs> well, again, right. If in the liberal mindset, I mean... This is what they root for. They should be loving Herschel Walker for this. He's a hypocrite. Right. Um, he's aborted a baby. You know, he's black. Yeah, I mean, he's the triple threat for them, basically. But he has that, you know, uh, unworkable R under his name, the Republican. So that it just, it can't stand. But he sounds like a bad guy in everything I've heard of him. Certainly not a candidate I would vote for, I would you know, want to vote for, right? And again, this is why primaries are so important. Get the right guy running that you can feel good about, you know, mm -hmm. he's certainly no Ron DeSantis or anything like that. But, you know, so what do you do, right? When you got a bad Democrat, you got a bad Republican. Um, so you either, right, choose a bad guy that supports policies that you align with, that align with your values, or a guy like Ralph Warnock, who's presented as a good guy, but lines up with no Christian values, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have to remember, we're not, if you're in Georgia, we're not in Georgia, this race doesn't necessarily affect us. But this is just a bigger question or a bigger thought process, because it was kind of the same thing with Donald Trump. You know, we have to remember that we're not electing Herschel necessarily for Herschel if you vote that way. Um, and even at the same pace, you're not necessarily electing Ralph Warnock for Ralph Warnock because they're just going to be absorbed into the party apparatus mm -hmm. and these sorts of things. Um, so what we want is somebody that will enact what we want to see in our country rather than a guy who's going to be a slave to the spirit of the age you know, an anti-Christ progressive party. Now, ideally, you would get a good guy that supports good principles, like a Ron DeSantis. Um, but in lieu of that, you make the best of the bad choices. You don't compound the problem. So, you know, you have a Herschel Walker. Sounds like a not the most intelligent dude. He's had abortions in his past or he's paid for them. He's had women out of wedlock, all things we wouldn't agree with. But he doesn't support abortion policy. He doesn't support, as far as I understand, you know, gay marriage. He doesn't support um, a lot of the transgender ideology. And most of, you know, he doesn't support the liberal satanic platform. So, yeah, the dude personally is not a great guy, but he supports a platform that we can support. 
Ralph Warnock, a false teacher, is presented as some sort of religious man, but he supports pro-abortion stuff. He's pro-LGBTQ. He's pro-satanic liberal party agenda. So what do you do, right? You got to hope, because again, we didn't give ourselves in Georgia a good candidate to vote for. So you have to hopefully vote for the platform that somebody's going to support. Mm-hmm. You know, irregardless of how bad the candidate like is. It doesn't matter if they claim to be a Christian or not, because it's like, you know, a good person, not good, but you know them by their fruit. So that's what you look at. Yeah, well, and again, this is why a primary is so important. And it stinks when you get through a whole primary season. You're like, so we got Ralph Warnock and Herschel Walker. Nobody else in all of Georgia with a brain and a heart decided to run. Great. Right? This stinks. So now what do we do? What right? is like who they associate with? Yeah. And that, again, that's, that's sort thing. of what you got to look at and not just go, well, I've heard he's had an abortion and that's unacceptable. Absolutely agree. Um, and he should be held to account to that. They should demand that he, you know, repent, apologize, all that stuff. But like at the end mm-hmm. of the day, you're going to elect someone who none of his values line up with anything remotely Christian other than they slap the name pastor on him, reverend or whatever they want to call him. Yeah, they call him, you know, L Sharpton a reverend it means nothing, right? So I think that's just a bigger point where we have to step beyond the individual person. Yes, we want the best person. It would be wonderful if, you know, George Washington was running again. It would be great, but they're not out there very often. Um, So I just thought those were two kind of important topics there. Um, Not too much in the vein of Christian nationalism other than the headline and realizing that we don't need to bend over backwards to appease people on these issues because they don't actually care about them. Like we said before, um, they use this as a ruse to get racism, DIE into Christianity. They don't actually care about it because when it suits them, they're going to use the same ploys um, because they're hypocrites, right? So as a Christian, don't ever let somebody you know, get away with just calling Christians hypocrites, you know, that that's somehow unique to Christians. Yeah. In fact, we're better than them (laughs) because we are hypocrites and we recognize it. We go, yeah, here's a book full of all the right ways to live. And I can't do any of it apart from God. Mm -hmm. The atheist goes, I can do it all on my own. You're like, nope, you're a hypocrite because you don't know what you're doing and you're living in sin and you don't even recognize it. at least point. i recognize because that it, is right? what a christian is is someone who recognizes that they can't live up to god's standard of holiness like the hypocrite won't get into heaven though the one who doesn't no. want to admit that's literally that on your road it. to salvation right that's step one except that you're a sinner yeah <laughs> that's that's step one of christianity so, yeah, uh, I want to live right and can't. Yeah. There's my step one in the road to salvation. Um, everything else proceeds forth from there. So um, do you have any other things you want to say about the Christian nationalism, SBC? No. Any of those things? Just, <laughs> man, have a spine. That's all. Um, and if I'm wrong on Bart Barber and the 60 Minutes was going well, 
forgive me. Um, all right here. This was the story that I really was interested in this week. Do you want to read this headline? Texas megachurch repents for not involving women in decision-making after abuse of 14 girls by ex-pastor. Woo! Yep. You want to just read the first two paragraphs here? The 15-member all-male elder board of Denton Bible Church in Denton, Texas, has admitted that they failed to prevent the sexual abuse of at least 14 girls by a former youth pastor, didn't involve women leaders when evaluating abuse allegations and failed to provide adequate care for the victims. Our church culture lacked involvement of women in decision-making processes related to the abuse of these girls. Further, in almost all meetings with the victims, no women were present, which was inappropriate, said board chair Curtis Elder and senior pastor Tommy Nelson in a May letter to the congregation first published by Fox 4 on Tuesday. Yep. Um, The story goes on to address the abuse at length, and it's not great. Um, Denton Bible Church should absolutely be ashamed of how they handled this youth pastor Mm -hmm. um, that the story highlights as the abuser. and I don't want to dismiss any of the damage that was done to these girls. Um, you know, God have mercy on them. I pray that his peace would be on them and that they would not hold this against God. Um, but, you know, learn to cling to God you know, rather than running from him. Um, but Denton Bible Church should be ashamed. You know, they should have um, some apologies to make, some errors to correct here. It is crazy that a lot of this is with mega churches where you have more accountability and you have more people looking out to you would speak think up. It's one of those, yeah, it's one of those oddities, right? Where you yeah. think there's more people around, more pastors, more mm-hmm. staff, more, yet more of it continues to happen, right? Yeah. Um, so it is one of those oddities. And again, we don't want to dismiss the damage. God have mercy on those girls, but that's not what I wanted to highlight this story for. Um, My reason for highlighting it was the church, because I think there was a lot of issues here that I want to discuss, and maybe not in the vein that this story is trying to paint them. Um, First and foremost, um, maybe just because we kind of been talking about the nationalism, racism, DIE stuff this episode, um, I would assume, I pray that I'm wrong, that we will see Denton um, Bible Church kind of go the way of Hillsong in the SBC, right? Um, because there's now this opening for the Antichrist DIE crowd. Um, and I would imagine, you know, they'll be looking to get their hooks in because Denton is a big church. Um, if you go to their website, you know, they claim even in this article, it's a mega church. Um, and mm-hmm. Denton is, uh, he's, they're giving them grounds with sort of this rhetoric, um, I would say nonsensical rhetoric, like they talked about not involving women, not having women involved is their big issue. They're already telling them we need more women involved. We Mm -hmm. didn't have them here. And that was the problem. And like, as if it takes a woman to recognize abuse in a church, like you can spot a pervy dude a mile away, pastor, youth pastor, any other guy, men and women can identify a pervy dude from a hundred yards. 
I think men are just good at recognizing other men being off because women can be fooled because of niceness or just because the youth pastors involved with the kids. And maybe I was just thinking, well, maybe their dads aren't very involved and they're just so happy an adult male, like a father figure is investing in their kids and they probably just yeah. overlook the creepiness of it. They don't see it. They see niceness and that they want to be around their kids. So I think women are more likely, like the moms don't notice it. No, for sure. And I think that was something else, again, that doesn't get highlighted in this story. We don't know on a personal level, but I don't think you can alleviate the parents in this. You can't overlook the parents' failings in this happening to their children, you know, because the story talks about in here, you know, crazy stuff like kids going to hotel rooms alone with this pastor or the pastor coming over to their house or, you know, like these one-on-one -on -one meetings and you're like, no way um, should you let that happen, youth pastor or not, um, pastor or not, like that should not be allowed to happen. So there should be at least some level of responsibility placed on the parents for protecting their children. I mean, protection of your children is first and foremost a parent's responsibility. It's not a pastor or youth pastor. I'm just, I'm just very much against youth events away from the church. Like, I'm very much against camp, Bible camps. I just say no. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just do. I went to those camps as a kid. They're not great, right? Um, because there's never enough supervision. Most kids generally aren't there to sing the praises of the Lord um, because it's really like the first time that they're away and they're staying the night and there's girls right over there. And Yeah. I, Even if it's not co-ed, I just, I just don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that it's ever going to be like, because it was this event that the child encountered God in a way that they couldn't do that at church or at home. Like, I don't like how we make much of youth events. Like the spirit of God is going to get them at this event. No, I just, I just say no. Yeah. I mean, everyone <laughs> can feel different about this, but at least to where we've come in our life, you know, where we sit currently, um, where the spirit of God is going to get your kids is sitting in service, hearing the word of God preached. Yeah right next you to don't you don't need to add <laughs> you know? to the word of God alone. Like that's the power of the gospel alone. Hearing the word of God. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to make it more fun for these teens. Yeah. yeah. But so just wanted to highlight that, but reading through this article, um, church weakness is what I saw. And that was my big issue. And I think that's, a lot of what leads to the other issues that get highlighted in this um, article. Hmm. Uh, let me see if I can find this next paragraph here. See, it was a pretty lengthy article. Yeah, here it is. Do you want to read this paragraph, honey? The elders also admitted to prioritizing grace and forgiveness toward Shiflet over care for his victims and failed to call out his crimes of sexual abuse. 
sexual harassment, abuse of power, and spiritual abuse. Yep. And if you read the article, again, we'll have all these linked in the show notes. You can go check them out. They talk about the long string of abuses um, from this guy, this youth pastor. And this, to me, was the crux of the entire entire article. Um, This line right here, they admitted to prioritizing grace and forgiveness towards Shiflet. Like, Mm. this is the stream out of which so many problems and errors in the American church flow. Mm -hmm. You know, this sort of, I don't know if it's just hyper grace or this walk in love, no church discipline, no intolerance towards sin, just love and acceptance sort of environment. Yeah, they're like afraid of someone actually feeling shame for sin. Like that's, you need to let the Holy Spirit convict people and not push the Holy Spirit away. And you try to be that voice um, and just get in the way of conviction. Like conviction is good. Not shaming them and like, but there's like a godly sorrow, that kind of shame. Right. And this is a pastor's job. This is a shepherd's job is to, you know, shepherd the flock. And Mm -hmm. when they go astray, when they are led off into sin, who else is there to correct them if not you? But when you just go, we're just going to forgive him. Well, he did it Mm -hmm. again. We're just going to forgive him until he comes into full acceptance of the sins that he's engaged in. How does that work even with raising a child? It doesn't. Like you have (laughs) to think about this in other situations in life. Like it works the same across all relationships. And Yeah, there has to be repercussions. There has to be, I mean, this again, this is the church's job. This is the elder's job. This is what we're commanded of. This is what Christ commands. I mean, Matthew 18 outlines um, church discipline. It's in the gospel. It's there for a reason. And you're, you're not going to override Christ by going, Jesus, just love him. Just love him on through it. You don't understand God. He's had a rough go of it. Just love him. Like, like still just firing a pastor is nothing compared to when people sinned against God in the Old Testament. Like, come on. Yeah, the man, <laughs> lucky he wasn't just struck dead. Yes. <laughs> you know, praise God, he's merciful. But um, mm. yeah, that to me was the crux of this entire church. All of the problems spring out from basically that line. Um, yeah. But do you want to read this little bit of a paragraph right here? The investigators also found that people within our church were afraid to raise concerns or even participate in the investigation because of a feeling that it would be seen and treated as disloyalty. Wow. Yeah, I'm trying to find that paragraph in here. Oh, yeah, right here. I was just a little bit above it. You want to read that again, just because I didn't have it highlighted. The investigators also found that people within our church were afraid to raise concerns or even participate in the investigation because of a feeling that it would be seen and treated as disloyalty. Oh, man. Yep. And uh, as you mentioned kind of before with the megachurch, here's another, you know, plague of the modern megachurch Mm -hmm. culture, right? 
celebrity pastors, yeah. church brand and loyalty to the brand. Mm-hmm. But it makes you ask the question, like, where's the loyalty to Christ? Right. <laughs> where's right. the loyalty to the body of Christ? Because um, the article says earlier, I think that's what I had highlighted. Um, investigators also found that even among church members, there was a culture that seemed to protect the institution from criticism. Hmm. I think that's kind of pride too, because you're associated with it and you don't. Right. That's that whole loyalty to brand. Like, Mm -hmm. well, if we bring this up and the church gets hit, then I'm now a part of the Denton, you know, Mm -hmm. child abuse church. But we, you know, another problem too, right. Which is, I would guess why they sort of swept this stuff under the rug and we're just going to love you on through it is, you know, what we've talked about before, the modern megachurch mindset of church growth equals church success. So it's just growth at all costs, right? Um, and here we see it again. You know, what's your yardstick for success as a church? Um, mm-hmm. Is it adherence to God's word? Is it, you know, growing the body spiritually um, to be obedient and joyful towards the Lord? Or... Is it growth? Is it getting them baptism numbers up? Is it, you know, building that new youth center off, you know, whatever, buying that next lot next door to your, like, is that the success of your church? Um, Because if it is, um, then you're just left wide open for error and sinful behavior. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the world says, judge not lest he be judged. Like that's what the church is doing with the leadership. Like, I don't want to say anything. I can't judge. Like, really? You can't judge that what that youth pastor did was sinful. You can't use the actual word of God to judge. You're not using your own judgment. You're judging by the word of God. And you say, well, what does God say? Okay. According to God, this is how we should handle it. You can't act like you're biblically illiterate, you know? I mean, because again, now you're in this pickle where the senior pastor, the elders who may be good men, may have done mostly right. Maybe they were responsible themselves, all these sorts of things. But now you're in essence an accomplice towards abuse of 14 girls, which may horrify them personally. But like you kept paying the dude, you kept bringing him back, you kept looking the other way, you kept feeding him new youth, right? So in a sense, because you failed to do what you're called to do as a pastor and a leader, um, which is sometimes ugly, and it's sometimes difficult. But this walk in love mentality, it doesn't get you anywhere. Walk in love isn't whatever you deem love to be, it's whatever God deems love to be. Yes. And, you know, again, Matthew 18 exists for a reason. Church discipline exists for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so just reading the whole article. And again, I encourage you guys to go read it. I think you can just summarize it as a church that chose itself over its members, right? Um, Success of the church over safety and love of the congregation. And I wouldn't say that the pastors and the elders should necessarily be fired. Um, They did obviously fire this guy. I mean, that's for the church and the eldership to decide. Um, But I would hope and pray um, that so many like them, because this isn't the only church that's like this. I mean, we've talked about many of Megachurch on this, and you guys all know 
the mega churches, um, that they would learn to heed the words of the apostles, right? Heed the words of Christ and lead their churches in line with the teachings that the Bible commands them to lead. Um, again, church discipline exists for a reason. We're told to remove sinners from our congregations for a reason. Um, pastors are held to an incredibly high standard for a reason. You know, there's descriptors of biblical elders for a reason, because they're supposed to meet a criteria, not just, I love him and he's a cool dude. That's not a criteria. It doesn't say he can put on a great youth event. That's not a criteria. Right. He plays Fortnite really well is not a criteria. And there is no differing criteria outlined for pastor or youth pastor. You may give it a different term. The Bible doesn't tell you, oh, a pastor should be a man of impeccable, you know, renown in the, in the you know, in the community and moral, you know, standard. But a youth pastor just got to be cool. Right. <laughs> like, as long as he's that, then he's good. It doesn't say that, right? It's the same standard. Um. So I think those are reasons that we need to learn as a church at large um, from reading articles like this, see what they did, learn from it before it bites you. Um, and I think we need to quit with this whole like feminized progressive idea of how to just love everyone to a higher place. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Hold people responsible, expect moral integrity, demand that they be striving towards righteousness and you take that responsibility to lead them in righteousness. Um, you know, as a pastor, they should be looking to emulate you. Um, so mm -hmm. again, that's your job as a pastor, as a shepherd of people. So I thought those were sort of the examples that I saw in this story outside of just the shame that it is that they had to, you know, make those girls suffer. But I think there's big lessons that you can learn from a church like this. So oh, yeah. do you have any last thoughts on just this story or the news as a whole before we get to our Bible topic? I just always look back like the Old Testament is very clear. Like we can learn how people turn to God. Just looking at Israel, um, they turned away from God when things were going well, when God was pouring out his love and blessings on them. In churches today, you know, they're saying... You just got to love these people. They're broken. They've, you know, had a hard upbringing, probably. They've never known the love of God. And we just got to lavish love on them. And then they'll turn to God. And I don't see that in the Old Testament. Like, do you get where I'm going with this? Like, you need to, you need to tell people about the wrath of God. And you need to correct people. I mean, especially these people in the church, you, they're not going to repent and turn to God by loving them. Just, you know, sweeping it under the rug. We know that doesn't work. They need. No. Well, that's need the bigger shame too here, right? Like the way the story makes it sound is that, you know, this guy had a lengthy history of inappropriate behavior and it may have started is just that inappropriate or maybe bordering on inappropriate. And then it leads into inappropriate and then it goes over the line and then way over yeah. the line. Whereas if you would have had the backbone and the spine and the moral integrity to confront him immediately, you may have saved his soul. You may mm -hmm. have stopped him from walking away from the faith. I mean, I don't know where the man's soul is now pray for him, but 
you may have spared. I mean, we know what damage sexual abuse causes to girls. It's not just like they're abused and then they wake up the next day and they're good to go. It causes a lifetime That's of damage. Some real spiritual trauma. So you could have prevented all of this stuff by just having the integrity and the courage. Um, and again, this is why I think, you know, maybe James is saying that not many are called to be teachers and preachers and stuff like this, right? Like, it doesn't just take, can you give a good sermon to be a pastor? I mean, that's what the modern megachurch wants is, can you just give a good sermon? You keep people engaged, they want to come back. But can you actually be a shepherd of people? Yeah. Can you carry yourself in a morally righteous manner? Um, obviously not a sinless manner, but morally righteous. And can you demand that of others and make sure that they're adhering to it or mm -hmm. have the courage to let them go and confront? Like, that's all part of it, man. You can't just be some wishy-washy, you know, love everybody hippie that just gets stepped all over. And, yeah. you know, that's what it looks like. We're just going to mm -hmm. love him and forgive him until he, whatever, fixes his life. Well, all that caused was probably another 13 girls to be abused because he just chose to love him on through it. Yeah. And I don't know about, I'm just thinking because so many churches just want to be like an outreach ministry um, in the city, that's how they want to be a light. And they are trying to reach children. And a lot of kids go to church and their parents don't go. But the only reason these kids go is because it's a fun place and the pastor's cool. They can relate to the youth pastor. So I think what they look for in a youth pastor is someone that's going to attract the worldly kids to come to church and hopefully get the parents to come. So they're starting first with worldliness, someone who looks like them and acts like them to kind of like, you know, trick them into coming. But really all the while, church is fooling themselves because they just let a wolf into their church to attract worldly people. Like that isn't the way the gospel works. You don't have to look like the world to get people to believe the gospel. That's just a trick. Like that's a, that's one of Satan's schemes that you're using. Like how backwards is that? Right. We talked about this before that, you know, the biggest problem with the seeker sensitive model of church is you build your whole brand and identity and, you know, church model of seeker sensitive, make it comfortable for the sinners to come in. Well, if that's your whole brand and your whole identity that you're building towards, you're not going to bring them in and then flip 180 to convict them in their sins and hold them accountable. You're going to be seeker sensitive the whole time they're in there. Yeah. Where you're just, and then obviously we're seeing this to the point where we got pastors walking around sinning and everyone seems to have known it at some level and just sort of accepting it or sort of looking the other way or not completely hold them accountable, you know, or I mean, how many stories I'm sure have you seen where, you know, you got unmarried couples and guys and girls like in church together and they're hanging all over each other or, you know gay couples and stuff and like they're just in there and so what and no one's ever like hey man it's time to kind of make a choice right you've been here for a while are you going to come to christ repent of your sins they're like what are we doing here um and i mm -hmm. think it's just that idea that if you're going for we're going to appeal to the to the the sinful non-churchgoers and we're going to make it comfortable for them to come in you're just unlikely to sort of flip that script once they're in there and, you know, walk this 
obedient life according to God's word. It just it seems unlikely. Yeah. And I just, I just try to apply this to the home life. Again, I take the situation at church and be like, oh, well, what if this was going on at home? Like, so like protection of the flock is number one. And just imagine like in your home, like someone hurt your own kids, but we just told them that we just need to forgive that person and, and let them come back into our home. And, um, and just, and that's the way to demonstrate forgiveness. It's just letting them come in and love on them. How would that, like, how do you think that would make your kids feel like they would feel like you don't care that you're willing to make them vulnerable again, to be around that person. And forgiveness doesn't mean allowing people back into your life just the same as before. Like there's forgiveness and that you would not take vengeance on them. Uh, you would leave room for God's wrath or hopefully they repent and turn to God, but you don't have to let them back into your life just the same. So no. there's just this distrust now, like you're just waiting, like, you know, people don't just change like that. So trust and forgiveness, I don't think they go hand in hand. Um, and I hope you know what I mean by that. Like you can forgive someone, but you're just not comfortable depending on what happened in this situation with the youth pastor. Yeah. You definitely don't want to let him back. That is, um, that is not demonstrating forgiveness by allowing him to come back in. Um, and it's, it is unbiblical. It's not how we're instructed. Um, yeah, so I would agree. like being fired is not an act of vengeance is what I mean. Like it's just a consequence and it's just sticking to the wisdom of scripture in, in a matter that concerns the flock. Yeah, absolutely. I think they would have served this man's soul much better. Yeah. If they would have just held him accountable. Yeah. Um, than what they chose to do otherwise. So, um, that's all we got on the news of the week. We're going to try to roll into our Bible topic now. Um, and as we mentioned before, this is sort of us, um, well, this is our road to salvation. We've been talking about this now for going on, you know, five or six weeks. We took a break in there for a week when I was gone, but um, we're finishing our look at the road to salvation. Um, so again, that means we're on point five here. And just a quick summary up to this point of what we've talked about. Um, and again, we encourage you to go listen to those previous episodes if you haven't. Um, if you know somebody that you know, you've shared the gospel with, or you're trying to figure out how to share it. Um, you can go to our website. There's links down in the show notes. We've got a very simple road to salvation link on there. It gives you all the points, very simple, you know, just one or two, you know, one or two sentences in the verse. Um, same thing with the assurance that we'll get into. So uh, the first point, basically, we've all sinned, we're all sinners, and we need a savior. That's point number one, right? Point number two, the wages of that sin is death, but Jesus gave us the free gift of salvation. Point number three is while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to be perfect and holy. He died for us in our sins. Um, and then point number four, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, so those were the previous four. Again, you can find those, but do you want to read, honey, point number five? Yeah, that's Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, 
and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Yep. So this confessing with the mouth, you know, as he says, this is the mode <laughs> by which we're saved. Uh, but it's important to know here that there is no fooling Jesus of the sincerity of our beliefs. Mm -hmm. This is the difficult part. Confessing with the mouth, in essence, is easy, um, mm -hmm. but the heart transformation is not because Jesus won't be fooled. Right. Um, I think if we don't confess to others, um, like letting them know um, that we've turned to Jesus, um, I think that's saying we're ashamed of the gospel. That's why I was looking at that confession part. Like, yeah, you're not sure. ashamed, you're willing to tell others. Well, and this kind of goes along the same lines too, is with like a baptism, you know, baptism necessarily isn't salvation, right? But it's that outward expression of faith in Christ, you know? And yeah, so if you're like, oh, I believe in Jesus, but you don't want to tell anybody, you're like, I'm just going to think about being saved. That'll be good enough, right? Because it'd be super embarrassing, you know? And um, so, yeah. yeah, there is that, you know, uh, audible, I would say confession, right? And um, but just on that heart issue, I just wanted to highlight First Kings chapter eight, verse three and or verse thirty-nine, and it says, "Then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways, for you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind." Um, so he knows our heart. Like I said, the confessing can be tough if you're embarrassed easily and all these sorts of things but the heart is the hard part because that's the holy spirit working in you right um bringing your your stone heart to life um and again there's no fooling there so um it's a scary thought i think um but this is why it's so important for us uh well for them to be presented with a full gospel um, and again, this is where sometimes the seeker sensitive, the sort of Joel Osteen gospel of, you know, God wants you to overcome your battles. He loves you. Don't you know, you want to accept Jesus? That's not the full gospel. They need to hear the full. They deserve to hear it yes. and they need to hear it. Um, and when we're presenting the gospel, it's vitally important that you tell them the whole gospel. They mm -hmm. are sinners. They are on their way to hell. There's nothing they can do about it in and of themselves. And there's only one way to get out of that predicament. And that's through Jesus Christ. Um, and more than just Jesus Christ, right? Because I think it's Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. You know, we always get stuck on the great commission, go into all the work or go make disciples of all nations. Um, but the next part of that in the same verse, right, is teach them to obey my commands. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he says, make disciples of all nations and teach them to Kingdom. obey my command. So that's part of the full gospel. Jesus yeah. Christ came, you know, died for you. It's a free gift of salvation. But like, you don't just get to say, I believe in Jesus and then live however you want, live like hell, and then think you're still going to heaven. Mm -hmm. It's going to take that, you know, regeneration, that sanctification. That's going to be what is mm -hmm. evident. So, um, they deserve that, and you have to know that going in. Don't give them the Joel Osteen gospel and think that that was good enough if that's all they've ever heard. They need to hear the full gospel. Um, 
But then also with that, Christianity is not a religion that can be forced on anyone, right? Like you can't um, tell someone to accept the gospel or accept Christ at the barrel of a gun. Because again, he knows their heart. Um, so, you know, again, you must, as far as the individual, right? You must see your sin and your need for a savior um, sort of truthfully before you can call on him for salvation. Um, otherwise, you wind up in a parable of the sower type situation. You know, the seed that fell on the rocky soil or the seed that fell in among the weeds. Um, and again, you know, you see from those parables, right, that their heart wasn't fully in it ultimately, or it got snatched away, right? And they fell away. Um, or as John puts it in 1 John chapter 2, 19, um, the apostle says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all, or that they all are not of us. So belief, again, must be true in your heart before it should ever come out of your mouth. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, speaking on not just mega church, but, you know, in the vein of that is at least what comes to my mind. This is where that problem of like the overly emotional altar call um, you can kind of run into. You know, if you're led to the altar, you know, because of some charismatic preacher and you confess, you know, but you're doing it more out of emotion than heart, you have a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not necessarily against altar calls. I think they have their place for sure. Um, but we got to be careful not to be just swept up in emotion mm -hmm. and assume that that means life change. Well, when they do, like they put the pressure on you, like right now, raise your hand. This is your moment. They use that, those kind of words to like get people thinking like, oh, I got to do it. And they, they don't have time to think, to ponder. And they really haven't heard the full gospel, usually in those settings. And it isn't anything where you necessarily have to come forth. Right. And you there's can obviously believe and be saved in that, right? Today is the day of salvation. All that stuff is true. But like, and again, this is why, you know, the onus is on both people, right? It's got to be working in your heart, you know, because if you're just like, you know, and again, I can't tell somebody when what they're doing is just emotion and the other one is heart. But, you know, also, again, that's why it's super important to make sure if you're giving a gospel presentation that you're giving them a full gospel and you're not just sort of ramping them up into some emotional frenzy in hopes that they come down because you want them, you know, you, the hope is that it sticks, right? Um, that it's real and true. Um, and that you're not just giving them a false sense of security at the end of the day, like a Joel Osteen type, you know, where, Hey, you want Jesus to help you overcome your problems? You love him. Well, then I believe that you're saved. Like, no, no, no. You can say, even if it's an altar call, right? Confess the Lord, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I mean, hopefully you're going the rest of the way. Like we're going to go the next 10, you know, weeks talking about assurances of your salvation. Mm. Um, so I just think that's important to note, not just to be swept up in emotion. Um, and I think it's maybe a nitpicky point. People might say, ah, you're just nitpicking here. I don't know. But I think it's an important point. You know, the apostle here says, confess with your mouth. You know, he doesn't say just think a thought in your brain. You know, in the word here, 
Um, for confess is the Greek word. I'm probably going to get it wrong, but it's like homolog, homologo, homologio, something Close, like that. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's used 24 times in the news te- uh, in the New Testament, and in each case, it sort of describes speaking in a manner in which you could be heard. You know, you, they're confessing, mm. they're proclaiming, sort of a thing. So I make this point. Um, because I want you to get the under or the proper understanding of this, you know, confess with your mouth after you believe in your heart, um, you know, because I think it's important, you know, um, I think when you're discussing matters of eternity and salvation, you know, heaven and hell, all that sort of stuff, even if you think, well, you're just nitpicking when he says confess, I think we should err on the side of um, perfect adherence (laughs) in these situations on what we're being taught, rather than just going, this is probably good enough. On the matter of your soul, I would say um, perfect adherence, err on the side of caution, confess with your mouth. So again, the Apostle Paul says to confess, not think. So we should confess. And as Nikki said, you know, again, if you're too afraid or too ashamed to just say audibly, you know, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I don't know that your heart's necessarily in it. That would just be yeah. a Spencer Tosiism. Not saying that's gospel truth, but that's the way I would understand that. I understand it that way, too. And I was just thinking the part of the gospel that you rarely hear in churches is that you must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Like we always hear that Jesus died for our sins, but do you believe that he's alive today? And we have to make sure we are not ashamed to say that he was raised from the dead. Saying someone died for sins is amazing and easier to believe, but it's harder to believe that, you know, God raised someone from the dead. And I think that's what they were having an issue with in the New Testament too, that they didn't believe in raising from the dead. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I think there certainly was those. And I mean, even if yeah. you read our modern Christian church, like all the surveys, a large percentage of people that claim to be Christians, um, you know, they'll say they don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, or they don't believe that Jesus is God. And these are things that they right. have to know. You're accepting these truths, right? Jesus Christ is God, the Trinity, mm-hmm. raised from the dead, lived a sinless life. Yeah, that's... These are all parts that need to be accepted. You know, you can't say, I believe in Jesus, but I mean, that whole race from the dead thing, that's a little bit outlandish, right? Yeah, that's you what know? it says. You need to believe in your heart and confess, like, even the part that God raised him from the dead. Like, that's a big part of the gospel to leave out. Because if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, um, then you also won't be raised. So where's the hope of salvation? Right. You know, like... Him being raised means we will be in heaven. And if we aren't raised also, that means we only received forgiveness, maybe to not get thrown in hell. Um, But God offers eternal life, which means we are raised as Jesus was. So that is the hope of salvation. Not that we are merely forgiven, but we are in our being raised up, we are fellow heirs with Christ. 
Yeah. So, no, that's again, that's the whole gospel, right? Like you got to know what you're signing up for. Um, Cause again, isn't it? Jesus says like, if you're, you know, I can't, I'm going to butcher, but if you're ashamed of me or mm-hmm. if you, you know, yeah, I can't remember how, well, but yeah, if you're yeah, ashamed, if you're ashamed of, him, of him, he's not, he'll, yeah, he's I should have looked the verse or, up, but yeah, I have a goldfish memory. You guys know what I'm talking about. I I'm do that probably, all the time. You're doing what I do. You know, that one verse, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm probably right, but could have been more right. You're right. <laughs> so, um, but that sort of ends our, do you have any last things to say on Romans 10, nine through 10? No. Yeah. So that kind of ends our discussion here on the road to salvation. And next week, you know, so long as the world doesn't implode on us or fall apart, we're going to kind of start our 10 week look at the assurances of salvation. Um, and I want to mention here that these have to go together. Um, mm-hmm. This is vitally important um, because the Bible gives assurances of salvation and nowhere um, does it actually say, uh, you know, your assurance is to remember back to that altar call, right. you know, where you called out to the Lord. Um, That's not your assurance. It's not your assurance. You know, the belief in your heart, um, the confession with your mouth is the key to, you know, let you into the door, right, of salvation. But, you know, again, as the parable of the sower would tell you, or as the apostle John would mention, you know, this act can, I don't know if fake is the right word, but it cannot be authentic. Um, and Jesus tells us to judge a tree by its fruit, mm-hmm. you know, so you, know, you can tell me all day long, you know, that you're a pear tree. I'm a pear tree. I'm a pear tree. But if I go up and pull fruit off the tree and it's a crab apple, you're not a pear tree, right? So you can tell somebody all day long, I'm saved. I'm saved. I went down to the altar this day. And, but if these assurances are not evident, if the fruit on your tree is not good, then it doesn't really matter what you said then, right? Because you can fake the confession with your mouth. You can't fake the belief in your heart. You can't. And belief isn't a work that we do because we can't even boast that we believed in our heart. So you going, answering to that altar call and confessing, that's a work. But what's going on in your heart is not something you can boast about. That is a gift from God. Yeah, absolutely. And like, we don't even want to go down the road of election necessarily, because that gets people, you know, freaked out or makes them angry if you start talking about those words they don't like. Um, But I'll just say, you know, if you want to know if you're elect, (laughs) um, you know, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and then show signs of assurance um, of your salvation. And that's the best advice I can give you. If you care, I mean, I think that's a good indicator. If you're actually checking your heart and you're concerned about it, I think those who aren't concerned and they want to trust in that moment instead, I don't know. I don't know. I can't say, but I think if you actually, if that scares you, which we are supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. If you feel that, if you understand that, that's good. But yeah, I mean, the, the assurances are good as an examination tool for us, but it's also a good examination tool for those we love around us. 
I mean, how else are you going to sharpen people? You know, if you're not looking at the evidence of their salvation, the fruit on their tree and helping them correct that, you know, that's something we should be witnessing in other brothers and sisters, and they should be seeing in us and we should be seeing in ourselves. I mean, this is why we're a body of believers. We're a family of believers, not just a bunch of Christians out on an island by ourselves, just assuming we're saved, right? Um, only to find out, you know, something terrible when it's too late to do anything about it, right? So, um, yeah, stick with us if you're interested in those. We do also have the assurances of our salvation, like I said, up on our website. You can go find those there if you just want to read through them. Um, but that brings us to our sermon recommendation. And I'm actually going to be uh, recommending a short movie um, about maybe the most famous Puritan preacher, depending on who you ask, um, of the Puritan era, and that's John Bunyan. Um, And the movie, let me see if I can pull it up here. It's called um, The People's Pilgrim down here. Um, John Bunyan, you know, is, of course known mostly for his uh, book, The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, But he was certainly more than an author, a writer of just one book. You know, he was an author of many books. He did that as well. But more importantly, he was a preacher of God's word. Um, And he was actually a very renowned preacher. There's a fella named John Owen, you may have heard of. And he's why, you know, he's kind of considered the most intellectually gifted of the Puritan preachers in that era. And he said of John Bunyan, when he was asked by King Charles II on why he would even listen to Bunyan, (laughs) and um, that's kind of funny, what do you even listen to this Bunyan dude for? And um, John Owen said, may it please your majesty, if I could possess the tinker's ability to grip men's hearts, I would gladly give in exchange all my learning. Um, So Bunyan was the tinker, is what they called him. Um, So a pretty good endorsement there, as far as I'm concerned, from John Owen. So go give that movie a watch, or there's plenty of other you can see on there, you know, cartoons or other little adaptations of John Bunyan's life. Um, A pretty cool story. He was persecuted in his day for his beliefs, just like many Puritan preachers were. Um, So somebody we can learn from. And uh, also, if you have some free time, go read Pilgrim's Progress. Charles Spurgeon read it 100 times in his life. So I think you can make time for at least one good reading. So um, do you have any last thoughts, baby, before we go? Nope. All right. That is all we got. We'll be back on Monday with our daily devotionals. Please come give them a listen. We've been going through for this whole month. Um, We're sort of picking out different um, theses from Martin Luther's 95 theses, kind of going through there and just sort of highlighting, you know, maybe a quick summary of what the points were about or what kind of things we can take away from those points. I think the 95 Theses and really Martin Luther and the Reformation is something all of us who consider ourselves Protestants should learn about and shouldn't forget about, you know. Um, that's our heritage and something we should be proud of and remember. So come join us on Monday for that. And then we'll be back next week looking at our assurances of salvation. All right, guys, God bless. God bless.